Welcome. Welcome in to Sports Talk Chicago. All gas, no brakes. If you're looking for the same old sports talk, get out. You've come to the wrong place. Hey, we ain't come this far just to come this far, you hear me? I tell you what I see, I tell you the truth. We going hard today. We're fearless, bold, and highly opinionated. This here show. This show is so hot right now. The biggest guests, the hottest takes, and the best interviews live right here. Do you actually remind me of Dan Patrick? Because you ask great questions, you have the knack, you have the gift. On Sports Talk Chicago. Yo, Chicago. Here's your host. The guy's an absolute stud. John Zagul. Hi, everybody. Welcome into Sports Talk Chicago. John Zagul here with you, hosting John. John Meadows directing and producing. We're brought to you by our great sponsor, Amish Country Farms, for the best Amish food in all of Chicagoland. Get them up to Dane Orland Park and tell them Sports Talk Chicago sent you. We have two huge guests joining us here on the program today. They're former MLB relievers, former Cubs players, and the hosts of a new podcast, which we're going to get into called Call to the Pen. Welcome Brandon Kinsler and Steve Ciszek to the program. Guys, it's great to have you on. How are you? Doing well. Oh, Thank you. Thanks for having us on. <laughs> yeah, we're working Great on to have both you guys on. <laughs> <laughs> Great to have you guys on here with me. Um, I did want to start with the podcast. I know this kind of just came up last week. How did this all begin? Um, well, we've been bored sitting at home for a while, or at least I have. I think I've been retired longer than Steve. Uh, and then I just, it gets to the point where you're like, man, I kind of want to talk about baseball. And me and Steve, our total opposites of our the way we go about things is the way we talk about stuff. But so sitting in the bullpen for a full year and a half together, everyone said we should have our own sitcom because it was be- definitely a lot of <laughs> back and forth, making fun of each other. But we were like knew how to get serious and knew always knew it, wanted to win. But we always kept it fun. I think everyone was highly entertained. Like the the games were never boring for us down in that bullpen because we just had <laughs> so much fun. Maybe we had, we had a bunch of other good guys too, but. Me and Steve, we had a lot of pranks on each other. He's definitely the king of pranks. Like, he's very clever. So uh, I always thought if we can just get on the air and maybe talk about some stuff, uh, you know, it'll keep us occupied. I got to yeah. ask, what were the pranks? What were one of the, What's one of the biggest pranks that, that you got? Oh, uh, no, you got, you're going to have to watch. You're going to have to listen to the podcast when those come out. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. A, little, a little bit of a teaser from Brandon nice. Kinsler <laughs> right here on Sports Talk Chicago. You guys obviously both in a Cubs uniform. Uh, when you guys met and were teammates, how did you guys immediately kind of connect and then grow this friendship into what it is now? Yeah, um, well, it also, it's weird. So we had a mutual friend with, in uh, Eric Cressy. You know, we both, I trained at his facility. Um, I think Brandon at the time was getting his uh, programs and stuff for his lifts um, when he, while he was out in Vegas. And he approached, Cressy approached me saying, hey, I got someone that might want to rent your house for spring training. You know, are you, got, are you open to renting it? I said, yeah, sure. You know, who is it? He said, Brandon Kinsler. I've never met him, but, you know, if he's, if he's a responsible human being, he's welcome to <laughs> stay in our home. Uh, so it all worked out. And then lo and behold, that same year, right, Kins? I think you were traded yeah. to the Cubs, right? Yeah. So, I mean, we texted and stuff like that, basically him telling me that the Internet's out. You know, can you fix it? So I was like, <laughs> landlord Steve, <laughs> trying to get, get stuff done while I was golfing. I remember that. Um, but long story short, you know, we kind of, you know, we, I guess, met through the text messages there. But once, you know, he was traded to the Cubs, obviously, I knew who he was. He was staying in my house. And uh, we, I, you know, we pretty much hit it off right away. That's such a great story. I mean, I, I find it interesting because you don't hear about too many players who kind of come together by renting houses, kind of texting, and then just becoming friends. It, it seems like opposite of what goes on usually in Major League Baseball. 
when it comes to teammates getting to meet each other, getting to know each other, and forming that lifelong bond. It's very well, it wasn't a deal for sure on his house. That's for dang sure. He was definitely a target. <laughs> <laughs> so I wasn't going to forget who he was. But then when I got traded, uh, he was the first person that texted me and said, welcome to the show Cubs. And then right away, like I just kind of felt welcome. It's obviously it was the second, second time I was shoot. Yeah. Second time I got traded. And then uh, it's just always, you never know how you're going to fit in, especially with the Cubs. Cause it's such a tight knit group. You know, those guys have been winning for a while and the core was tight. And, you know, it's just they went, they went about it a little differently. So you just don't know how you're going to fit in. But when someone texts you, welcome to the team, it's like, all right, like this, this is going to feel good. And then he was my catch partner. So it was definitely – it wasn't even catch. We were just chasing it or dodging balls from each other, basically. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> you know, it, it worked out, too, because I remember one time on the plane – um, Kins was just like watching video of himself trying to analyze some stuff mechanically. And I was, and, uh, and he was asking me questions and asked my opinion, like, man, we're going to get along. I love talking about, you know, the game and mechanics and just trying to help each other get better. So, um, you know, that, that really sparked my interest too. When I saw how, how committed he was to his craft, uh, and I'm the same way with it. How did you two feel about your time with the Cubs when you look back on it today? Steve, we could start with you. Sure. Um, I mean, it's, I can say it's my favorite place I played of all the the eight big league teams I played for. Um, you know, the atmosphere was the first thing that like sticks out. I mean, there's nothing like playing in Wrigley Field. That was, I mean, every game felt like a playoff game. You felt the weight on your shoulders because you know you're playing for something there. Um, there's a lot of pride in the organization, and the organization made it easy to play for. They just they were the best at you know how well they treated our families. So when I'm when we were on the road, you know, they were always doing something fun with our families and our kids and wives. And um, there just really wasn't anything like it. Um, you know, no, no disrespect to the other organizations. This Cubs just stood out, you know, far and away. And then our teammates were amazing. Um, every day I really look forward to showing up to the ballparks. You never knew what funny thing was going to happen. But when the lights turned on, everyone was just, they were just absolute gamers. So, yeah, we can't see what he got. Well, when I first got there, I pitched so bad. I hated it. Like, I absolutely hated it. I I didn't even want to go to a restaurant to eat. But coming back from my second year, I was a little more relaxed and a little more, like, in tune, felt more comfortable with Joe. You know, because Joe's, you know, the way he runs bullpens was different. I was used to old school, and he wasn't so old school. So I had to really, like, really just be ready. Like, I always ask Steve, like, how do you, like, stay ready for, like, not knowing? And he's like, well, they just kind of – you just kind of get ready after the fifth and you're open-minded to where you kind of figure out where they're really going to use you. They really never use you in a spot you shouldn't be used. So once I, once that happened, I loved it. I didn't want to leave. I, I definitely think it was my favorite place to play. I mean, on a Wednesday day game, you got 40,000 fans. Like it's hard not to be excited to go out there and play at Wrigley. And the way they travel, just the way they treat the families, it was definitely like Steve said when he texted me, it's definitely the show Cubs and there was nothing else like it that I have experienced. What was the difference in bullpen philosophies? I'm just curious. How did Joe Madden differ from the other managers you played under? Well, Steve played left field one day, so. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> well, that's more old no, school, probably. It was the old school side of Joe, but I love that. <laughs> I may or may not have been nervous there, but uh, I mean, I think. For me, well, I think, yeah, go ahead. Steve, are you more old? Did you have any old school managers? Um, yeah, I mean, Jack McKeon. He's about as old school as it gets. <laughs> You're old, man. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. Well, for me, I think I 
never had an analytic manager, I think, leading up to that. So everyone was roles. Like, you just knew your role. Yeah. And you knew when you woke up or were you driving to the field that day, you knew, like, if we're winning by three runs or less, I had a seventh, eighth, or ninth, whatever my whatever I was on that team. And I could prepare for that, like, all day. And you could just easily be mentally prepared. You could just go with the game. You know, with the game's out of hand, you're probably not going to pitch. If it's close, you know, your anxiety builds and you're, you're ready. So once I got there, it was like one day I was – we're up by eight and I was in the sixth. And then the next day it's a one-run game and it's the eighth inning and I'm in. It's like – I was so caught off guard. I couldn't get in the rhythm where the Joe was thinking, but I didn't know anything about the pockets that, at the time that they did. Like they like to do pockets. Like you match up well with this certain group of the lineup. So, I mean, I didn't, I had no idea. And then I, I got caught off guard a lot. I always try to say, don't get caught off guard, but I got caught off guard a lot my first couple of months there. And it was absolute nightmare. Do you think the strategy was effective looking back on it? Well, the next year it was great. I had my best year ever. So they, I mean, they, <laughs> I think if you're throwing well, Joe's going to throw you against the best guys, but they definitely will not. He did not want to set you up for failure. That's for dang sure. Yeah. What yeah. about? Go ahead. Oh, good. I'll say the thing I loved um, about pitching for Joe and with those pockets, I remember, um, you know, th there was a time I gave up like a, I don't know, three run homer to like Aaron Althair um, when he was on a, he was on a roll with the Phillies and, um, you know, super disappointed. Um, Lo and behold, the very next day, the same situation comes up, and he goes right back to me and puts me in the in the spot for redemption. And so, you know, once once that happened, and I saw like how he operated, I, I just absolutely love that. You know, it gives you, you know, I, I still believe in you. Go get him again. You know, so. How do you guys feel about the use and the rise of analytics in baseball? Are you guys more old school guys, uh, based on some of the managers you've been with, or are you guys welcoming to? A, a rise in analytical thought. I mean, this is going to sound cliche. I'm, I'm kind of in the middle. I'm more, I okay. would lean more towards old school, but I see how the analytics obviously benefit the game. Um, I just, for me, with the newer generation of players coming up, I mean, there's like stats and everything. I don't even still don't understand. <laughs> Again, <laughs> that I'm still trying to wrap my mind around. And those are, those things are all good. As long as they don't, you know, like, overcome you like they, they don't just take over your approach to the game because there's a feel part of the game that i feel like gets overlooked a lot and the teams that are able to have some feel while using the analytics um you know that's that's going to be a difference for me because nowadays i see a lot of especially pitchers they're so numbers driven trying to um pitch to the computers that they don't even know how to set up hitters they're just they could give up you know two bombs but if their spin rate was great and they had this amount of movement or sweep on their slider they're good with it. And I'm like, no, nah, it's still not effective. You still gave it up. It's time to make some adjustments. So I don't know. What do you got, Ken? Well, I experienced it first. Like the most analytics I experienced last year when I went to AAA for a second when I thought I was going to play. And then uh, it was like overdriven analytics. And then this kid, this poor kid, he walked like six in one inning. And it was like slider after slider. And that, I mean, it was all over the place. So the next day he's throwing – He's throwing on the mound before the game, and I'm like, what are you doing? And he's like, oh, they said my uh, this slider would fit better with my fastball. I'm like, you walk six people. Like, can we just focus on literally just throwing strikes? Like, just throw strikes. It doesn't matter how the diff how it plays off your fastball. Like, it was all over the place. So that was kind of like, that's too much. That's way too much analytic driven. Um, I was always turned off by it because I basically I threw one pitch. 90% of the time. So there's nothing, you can't tell me I can't throw a sinker down and into whoever, like it was like Altuve. 
but that's I'm going in there, and that's just whether we're going to find out, you know, who wins or not. Don't go to Mookie Betts because he'll hit it out. I found that out a few times. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't want to know what I couldn't do. So I feel like I didn't, and I never had a team that would approach me saying, you know what, if you do this, you know, this will work for you. No, I mean, I maybe they'd realize I didn't want to hear it. But to me, it wasn't broke yet. So I just didn't want to hear it anymore. Yep. So you two just missed out on the pitch clock. Pitch clock is new for 2023. Uh, you know, the rise of analytics, I think, has brought this on partially in addition to a lot of other factors. How do you both feel about your some of your colleagues, some of your former teammates having to pitch on a clock in baseball? Brandon, we'll start with you this one. Well, I did experience it for a second in AAA. It told, I, think, I forgot it was even there. Uh, I came in my first outing, quick two outs. I'm just doing my normal thing. Then I got a three-two count. I know I shake off, and next you know the umpire yelled ball four. I'm like, I don't even know what happened because I didn't throw a ball. And he's like, pitch clock. I'm like, pitch clock. I'm like, oh my gosh, there's a pitch clock. And then I was like mentally blown away after that. Like the whole game sped up, my mechanics sped up, everything I had trained my whole life for as like closers and stuff to slow the game down, slow your breathing down. That was all out the window now. And we had the automatic strike zone, which is an absolute nightmare for me because. Backdoor sinkers did not exist. <laughs> like, like I always thought I could clip that line with my eyes closed, and apparently I could not touch that line to save my life. And then um, with the guys now, like I really thought, like you could tell they they struggled with it at first. You could tell relievers late in the game they kind of struggled with it. The game speeds up on them; they're really rushed. I watched Iglesias the other day in Toronto on the road. You know the crowd's going crazy, and it, like you could tell he just wasn't comfortable with the pace. He wasn't comfortable with anything going on. That it's. I asked the guys in AAA last year, I was like, how long did this take to get used to? They said a few months. Hmm. Yeah. Steve, what do you think? <laughs> I think everything he just said. Exactly. <laughs> you couldn't have said it any better. I mean, uh, in one sense, like, I do like it because it gets the game moving. But the, the biggest – I got asked this last week or two weeks ago. <clears throat> the biggest trick is how do you slow the game down when you're on a literal timer? You know, it's, I, I just don't – uh, I don't really have a good answer for that other than time will tell. Like you're going to be find out how quick you can slow the game down within a 10 second period, basically is what we're talking about here. So for me, I don't mind the pitch clock as much. I just wish they didn't go so hard with it. Right. Like it's 15 seconds. Right. Uh, why not start uh, like, you know, 20, 22 seconds. That makes a big difference. Get guys adjusted. And if that's still taking too long, then just keep bumping it down a second every year until you get to the 15 mark. But, I think it's just too too hard, too fast, um, and guys are you know certain guys are going to really struggle with it for a little while. I would assume. I literally, I literally, hold on, sorry, I literally could not shake off or touch the rosin. That's like I think the pitch com helps in AAA. Obviously, there's no pitch com, so yeah. For me, if I had to shake off anyone <laughs> or go touch the rosin, I was out of time. Like it was literally grab the ball, go look for the sign. Like that's the way. It, that's the way it was for me, and I just that wasn't the way I operated. <laughs> And I would assume you've talked to former teammates who are still in the game today. Are they in favor of this? Do they like this? This is a mix and match. Yeah, okay. I, I was talking to some of the national guys the other day. I mean, guys that um, – I mentioned any names. Guys that were, you know, pretty known for working slow are sure. kind of scuffling early on this year. But when I talk to them, they're like, it's, it's okay. I just need to make an adjustment. So they're not making excuses, which I appreciate, you know. Um, but at, at the end of the day, you know, it's probably on the back of their mind. Um, but like I said, time will tell. I mean, it's just a, we're, it's a game of adjustments as it is. 
unfortunately, this is just a big adjustment they're going to have to make. And when they make it, it's going to be all right. You two are former closers. So um, tell me about the mindset as a closer. When, when you guys take the mound of the ninth inning, how, how does that go? And how is that different from maybe a starting pitcher, a middle reliever, or really anybody else on the field at that time? We can start with you, Brandon. Um, I think it, one, it's, I think it, it sounds crazy, but I think it's easier to close than it is to do, let's say, the fireman job or um, any of those other jobs because I could be prepared and I know what's going to happen that day. Like, I know what I'm going to pitch. Um, for as far as the pressure-wise, it's insane. You, you definitely, when you feel it, like, on a road or a one-run game, um, you the crowd's totally into it. You could tell, like, you cannot make one mistake. And you're always facing, like, their best pinch hitter, like, it just seems like it's always the toughest situation. It never goes easy. But mentally, I was I was just locked in so much for that. I needed that pressure. I needed that one-run lead I, for to lock me in. Because if it was like in the sixth inning or a five, like I'm lost, I could hear the beer man asking for beers. And if I could hear the beer man, I'm totally screwed. Um, <laughs> I, I love the pressure, though. Like, I love to be nervous. I wanted to be nervous. But once I came in, you know, the adrenaline felt good. I wanted that adrenaline. I think once you taste it, you always want to – you got to have it because your stuff is so much better and you're not trying to throw hard. You're just throwing hard and your stuff is so crisp because the adrenaline is so high. Um, that's for me. I loved it and I embraced it. And like, I think my mentality was the game's over. Like there's no one coming after me to save me. Like I'm the one that's going to close this out. I mean, I wanted to have that pressure and I just wanted to full on attack mode. I wanted to make them swing. Everyone's like, Oh, you didn't strike anybody out, but I wanted to literally get themselves out. One is you could be available the next day, but Leadoff walks in the ninth inning is just – you could just feel the – if they get an infield single or whatever, but leadoff walks, you know they, they just sense it and you're pitching a little scared. Yeah. I mean, if, if, I, know, I know we said we're opposites in the beginning of the show, but when it comes to the baseball stuff, we're exactly the same. I mean, I, I, when, I, when I was in – I don't know, I guess my prime, let's say, when I was closing for the Marlins, I mean, if, if it wasn't a safe situation, there's that just a tick of – Tick less adrenaline that you have, and it affected my stuff so much to where I would get shelled. But if you put me when my back was always against the wall, that's what I felt like when you're in the ninth. There's no room to escape. Like Ken said, you're the last man up. Is when I would, you know, typically perform my best because that adrenaline is so high. Your stuff is so much better, and it's almost like when you're able to realize how to slow the game down, it becomes what I what we call easy speed, where. It doesn't even feel like you're throwing max effort. It's just you're such a show in control. You have straight tunnel vision. You cannot hear anything, any crowd noise. Um, like the beer man, the days where I heard people heckling in, in the crowd, I'm like, oh man, this is gonna be this is gonna be rough. <laughs> That's a long so, please, I mean, it's please so hit true. it up, someone. <laughs> exactly. When I didn't have that tunnel vision going, which you know, when you're closing was rare because you're just always on edge. Um, you know, I was just so locked that I just, I just felt confident and comfortable in those positions. So how did you two adjust when you eventually kind of transitioned out of a closing situation or opportunity into more relief pitcher roles later in your careers? And Steve, we could start with you on this one. Mm, uh, a little bit more caffeine for sure to get that heart, <laughs> heart pumping. I, I like to, I like my hands to be jittery, <laughs> jittery. So some Red Bull, you know, is involved with that. But in all, all honesty, I tr when I had a transition out of that, and especially as I got older, I just try to make every um, every slot that I was in, whether it was the sixth, seventh, eighth inning, uh, a safe situation, um, especially with other people's uh, runners on. And I did not want to give up a starters or a fellow relievers' runs. I did that was like 
the, my, the least favorite thing to do is to give up someone else's runs. That bothered me the most. Oh and so <clears throat> I took a lot of pride in that. And so when those situations came up, I, I felt like it was a safe situation because someone else's career numbers are on the line and the team's win could possibly be on the line depending on the situation. Um, so I didn't want to take it lightly. I treated it like the ninth inning. <laughs> Waving your kids away? No, well, Knox leaving the door open. All my dogs are walking in here. Knox, get out of here and close the door, dude. <laughs> hey, Knox. <laughs> Steve, Emmy, Emmy's dad says hi. So for me, the transition, I think going out, I started to go out in the third inning because when I was closing, I always went out in the fifth inning. So less anxiety would build up or I would get bored if I was out there too long. And if I got bored, then I just kind of lost interest and the general was gone. So I started to learn to uh, go out in the third inning. And obviously, caffeine for sure. And you just try to learn, like, what a good spot would be for you. And you're really hoping that, like, you're right. Because <laughs> so, once you start loosening up, like, you had a routine of when you would get ready. And you didn't want to have one inning or two, or more than a, two innings where that whole sweat would just be gone. Because then you're kind of going to have to, like, get up and be stiff. And you're, you kind of mentally already checked out a little bit. So once I figured that out and I got in a good rhythm, like I said, I got in a good rhythm with Joe or most, a few of the managers. Uh, I was really good. I couldn't get in a really good rhythm with Joe Girardi. So it's probably why I wasn't so good in Philly. <laughs> well, he's fired now anyway. So I think you're okay. Yeah, yeah, I told him to. I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding too. <laughs> Steve, I had a question for you specifically. Um, I remember watching you play and debuting out in Miami and at the time, they had Heath Bell signed to a big contract. He was closing, didn't really get the job done, and you kind of came in. Can you explain that sort of dynamic where this veteran making tons of money was brought in to close, and then you, a youngster, first and second year in the game, you're taking over for him and becoming the closer in Miami. How, how did that work, and how did that flow on the team? Um, it was uh, it was a little awkward at first, honestly, because um, he took – I mean, he was a, what, three-time All-Star? Right. Something like that. Um, and he's all, we signed him, you know, to a pretty big deal. Um, we had high expectations that year. I mean, I, I remember in the off season when we signed all those players, including Heath, I was like beyond overjoyed. I'm like, this is my chance. Like, we're going to do this. You know, we have a, you know, world series caliber team and I couldn't wait for the season to start. Anyways, I say all that, um, for, it just, it got to a point where the team was struggling a little bit and Heath was really having a, a hard time and it happens, right? Um, you know, we all go through it. And so, at first, it was awkward because he had, you know, tremendous pride in his job. I remember one day we we're sitting in San Francisco, and he's like, "Hey, I just want you to let you know, like that closer job is mine." I'm like, <laughs> I'm, "I'm like, you know, oh, rookie." And I'm like, you know what? I was oh. like, he, we were we were cool though back then. He uh, he was he was being honest, but he wasn't trying to be a jerk, even though it sounds bad. I was like, "Look, Keith, I mean, hey, we're a better team with you pitching in the ninth. Like, I want you pitching in the ninth, but you know, right now, I didn't say this, but right now, this is where they have us." So. Um, anyways, two games late, two days later, he actually pitched in the ninth inning, got in trouble. I came in the ninth inning, got us out of a jam. Um, uh, and I pitched two innings after that and we won two days later. Um, same thing happens in San Diego. And I pitched, um, he got, he gave up a run. I think in the ninth, a tie ball game, I pitched the next three innings and extra innings, finished it, closed it out once we got the lead. And, um, I remember doing the on-field interview where all, you know, the guys were celebrating locker room waiting for me. And as soon as I walked down the stairs in the dugout, and there's a, another way you go up the stairs to get to like the level of the um, clubhouse. Heath was the, the first one, the only one in the hallway standing there uh, waiting for me and gave me a huge hug and said, congratulations. And so 
I really appreciated that because I didn't want to take a veteran's job, um, but I wanted to win ball games, and I was I was a hot hand at the time, and he understood it after that, and um, so from that point on, we were we were boys. Brandon, what about you? Because you weren't a closer to begin with, and you kind of assumed that role for a little bit in Minnesota and made an all-star team. Was there a similar situation that you had to deal with? How did you ascend to that closing role, taking over, obviously, somebody else and maintaining it, and how did that flow with the team there? Yeah, when I see, I was I signed a minor league deal with Minnesota in 16, and then I got called up, and this bullpen, bull the whole team was struggling. We're like the worst team in baseball. And Kevin Jepson was the closer at the time. And he had a good year, but year before. And he was just, you know, we're looking to win a game. Like we're just, and he was just struggling. His velocity had dropped and, um, and we needed someone to throw strikes. And we didn't, no one else had a real experience. It was a really young bullpen. It was me, Fernando Abad, and Jepson. Like that was really it. Funny thing is Ryan Presley was on that bullpen and I look at him now, but Ryan Presley yeah. couldn't throw strikes at the time. And then, uh, <laughs> And then Eddie Gordado was the bullpen coach and I had known him my whole life. And he like, he's like, and he was really good friends with Paul Molitor. And he's like, Kim's going to do it. He's like, he could throw strikes and he's not scared. So, and, and then I didn't think I was ever going to get that shot. I never, cause I didn't like throw a hundred. And I was like, no one will ever let me close. But it's like, if I ever get that opportunity, I am so running with this. I am not going to let this go. And then they gave me a first chances against the Marlins. And I had been, I was so nervous. I was going to puke Mormon up. Because I haven't felt that kind of adrenaline in like ever, and it was awesome. And I got I got the struck out stint in the end the game, and I just ran with that job. I was just full. I well, I learned a lot about myself. Was full on attack mode. I just knew like right then I am never gonna. I'm not gonna nibble. I'm gonna full on attack. And then the next year I was I was the closer, made the All Star team. And then you get traded to the Nationals, and all of a sudden you got Ryan Matson, Sean Doolittle. Like we had Sean Kelly on our podcast the other day. Like we had a loaded bullpen. It's like they're like, oh, you're just probably going to be the seventh inning guy. And you're like, dang, I was an all-star closer. I can't even close for this team. But it was like, I swallowed by this wanting to win. As long as you wanted to win and they're willing to give you, like, Dusty was really good at giving you your role. And he's just basically, we I assumed the seventh inning. And I just treated it like the ninth inning. Because really it was. I just came in two innings earlier. And we're always lit, we we're always winning at the time. And they're really close. So I got to treat it the same way. But luckily, if I messed up, I got to have Ryan Matson come behind me and throw 100 miles an hour, which made my job a little easier. <laughs> Brandon, how did you feel when you ascended to the closer role, you made the All-Star team, you, you accomplished all these huge feats in baseball, considering your background in baseball, your story of how you came up? How did that feel for you when, when you got to that point? It was pretty emotional. There's a lot of personal pride, and, and you had to push yourself a lot going through independent ball all those years. And I had um, I'd already gotten DFA'd a few times by the Brewers uh, with injuries and stuff. And it just felt like, it's like, man, they're just trying to kick you out of baseball. Like, I earned my way back. And now just because you get hurt, I finally made the big leagues and I got hurt and they want to DFA you. And then you make it all the way back. And then you have, I have two great years in 13 and 14. And then I get hurt again and they DFA you. And then I got to sign a minor league deal because what I did wasn't good enough still. Or they don't believe in you. It's like, oh, you got to do it again. So it's like, then I made the all-star team. It was like, there's a lot of big FU really like when I was standing on that line and I got to tip my hat and it felt like, and I was warming up to, they were going to give, they gave me my own inning to, in the all-star game. Like that was pretty emotional. And it just felt like I finally, like, I felt like I made it, made like I belong with these guys finally. And then, but it doesn't matter because if you mess up, they'll release you the next year anyways. But, but <laughs> at that moment, right. at that moment though, it felt like, 
felt a lot of, I felt like all the hard work finally paid off. And it's just like, I finally felt proud of myself. Cause a lot of times we don't sit and think about like, oh man, I'm proud of myself. Like I did that. Like you're always just moving to the next thing. There's always a game tomorrow. You don't really, in the off season, well, I got to worry about my contract. I'll get ready for the next year. Like you never got to sit and reflect on what you've actually, like what you've done. Like it's pretty hard. When did you two know it was time to hang it up and retire? Oh, well, <laughs> Kins isn't officially retired yet. He says he's retired, <laughs> but I'm telling you right now, he's going to come back. You know, he's a good enough athlete. To and you mean the Cubs um, closer? Kins, uh, Cubs need a closer right now. Yeah, I would love to. I mean, I don't think Jed likes me. <laughs> Why? What did you do I Jed? don't know. I didn't do anything to Jed, but they offered me pennies on the dollar after my career year with them, and I, and I couldn't even get a phone call. And I, I tried to go to them like three years in a row. I couldn't get a phone call. <laughs> Wow, I never heard about that story. Obviously, that yeah, wasn't... no one ever hears about that. <laughs> <laughs> they probably won't get a job again. But <laughs> would you be open to coming back though today if Jed Hoyer gave you a phone call? Oh, hundred percent. Like I love Tommy. Me and Tommy had such a good relationship, and uh, he helped me out a lot. He helped me like get an extra three or four years in the big leagues because he was just very open minded. He's very very approachable. That guy flew out here just to watch me play catch because he just wanted to help me so much. Yeah. yeah, he's the best. So, Steve, when did you know it was time to hang it up then? I guess Brandon's still on the market as far as we can say. <laughs> um, you know, my wife and I talked about it before <clears throat> the 20, uh, 22 season, I think what year it was. Um, and uh, we're, we're like, this is probably going to be it. Um, I'm just going to try to lay it on the line. And – I thought about it the year before just because I just felt the ball just didn't feel the same <clears throat> coming out of my hand as it did in the past. And part of me, like, I, I think I could go out there, <clears throat> excuse me, and pr- literally pitch and get outs right now. But is it realistic? You know, not throwing a ball this offseason? No, but that's just my mentality. Like, I'm ready to rock whenever. Um, but it became, like, I, I got some clarity on it. Literally the last outing of my of my career I was just in absolute agony. Like my neck was messed up uh, and it was hurting all the way down through my shoulder. And I was doing everything. I mean, I was taking Toradol. We're the last, um, which is a super anti-inflammatory. And it's the second time I've ever taken it in my career just to pitch, you know, one more game, you know, just to get through it. Uh, (laughs) And uh, like, this isn't it. Um, Yeah. I I just, I didn't want to keep doing that to my body. And at the end of the day, could I still pitch? Probably could today, but on a consistent basis, like, I mean, be effective. Um, not as much as I uh, felt like in the past. And I just feel like that'd be, um, you know, a disservice to a team if I'm not feeling physically ready or able to, you know, be effective day in and day out. Like I normally, like, I love the, I want to pitch every day. You know, if you saw me with the Cubs, I was always trying to make myself available by any means necessary. Um, and once I feel like that's now becoming a problem, then um, that, that's when it was, I knew it was probably a good time to step out. And I just wanted to be with my family more than anything, really. Have you picked up a baseball since you've retired? <laughs> uh, a lot of softballs. Tried to, okay. I tried to throw a guy out of home plate the other day, and it didn't go <laughs> so well. Um, I threw one baseball, other than when I'm giving kids lessons in my backyard. Uh, I, I threw a first pitch out for Jupiter uh, Christian where my girls go to school and it felt so weird to me to stand in front of the mound and just like lob a ball in like it felt foreign it was so weird um it hasn't even been a year yet so that just shows you I mean if I go out there and start playing catch now and you know if I actually train for something I could obviously do it but no the long, I, I'll just cut my answer short there no I have not really thrown a baseball <laughs>
James, what about you? I mean, you're still on the market. So have you, like, like what, what's your process like right now? Are you training? Are you in contact with teams or are you just kind of laying low and no. waiting for the right opportunity? I lay low. I was kind of done. 2021, I knew mentally I would just, I didn't want to go to the field anymore. I, I knew I needed to at least step away because I, I wasn't mentally checked in and I wasn't fair to my teammates. It wasn't fair to my family, like leaving them and I'm not somewhere I didn't really want to be. I think one, I feel like physically I could easily be probably be just as good as I ever was, but I think I got to wait till I mentally want to go do that grind. Cause I mean, we haven't been playing, so we feel like we could do anything. But then when all of a sudden you're out there and you're in the grind every day and your body feels like crap, it's like, can you really do that? And I don't know if I don't know if I want to do that yet. When you know, let everybody know, including us, because again, the Cubs okay. do need a closer right now. They need a closer <laughs> very, very bad. I can't emphasize it enough. Have you guys been watching the Cubs? Have you guys have any thoughts on their season so far? Uh, I, well, I think they're a good lineup, feisty lineup. Uh, they're not a bad team. Obviously, you say they're bullpen. Maybe that's their only issue, but the rotation's not terrible. I mean, Stroman's solid. Um, I think hopefully if Hendricks comes back and he's healthy, I mean, that's a huge pickup for them. And but I like their lineup. They don't strike out a lot. They're very scrappy. I think Ian Happ is – I wish we he was like that in 19, man. We would have been rolling. <laughs> Oh, you're frozen. Uh-oh. Uh, uh, I got to take my kid to soccer. Let's see. I got to head out to my – I got to take my kid to soccer. Okay. Um, we'll, we'll cut this out. So let me um, let me go to the final questions here. Okay. <laughs> I've got two more for you. Sorry about that. <laughs> nope. No worries. Steve Zizek, Brandon Kinsler, right here on the program here on Sports Talk Chicago. A couple more questions before we finish up. Um, the best moments of your careers individually – was what we'll start with you steve um playing for usa in the world baseball classic i would say um my biggest bummer in my career is i didn't get a lot of playoff experience and uh the wbc was the most electric thing i've ever pitched in in my life and we got knocked out in the second round but i've I've never felt like i was going to throw up on myself on the mound um, (laughs) except for each time i was in that in every single game i pitched in i just felt it there's just so much pride wearing USA across your chest um, and you do not want to let your country down. And um, in the energy in Marlins, uh, Marlins Park when we were here was just out of, out of this world. It was incredible. Kids, what about you? Most memorable moment in uh, your career? I guess I got two. Cause I, I mean, obviously the all-star game, making the all, Paul Molitor calling me, telling me I made the all-star team was huge emotion. Like, Big time motion. I'll never forget where I was and what I was doing. And then uh, really leading, not leading, but I would say just giving everything I had and the Marlins making the playoffs in 2020. I get it was only 60 games, but we were like probably supposed to finish last. And then us making the playoffs after being shut down in COVID for almost two weeks in that hotel. And we lost 18 players and we still came out and won all those games. It was, and just to see like the joy of, the guys have been on that team for years of finishing last so much and to see like them getting some success. It, it like, it was, I was very emotional, like saying that whole time and saying goodbye to that team. And then final question for both of you, funniest moments in your baseball careers are what? <laughs> Go ahead, kids. 
Uh, I would say what, huh? probably <laughs> there's so many with Steve. It's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, one time that he hid, my, well, I would say he hid my clothes in my locker one time. <laughs> that's that's a, what I was going to say. He put me on a full scavenger hunt around Wrigley Field to go to go find my stuff and then by the time and ended up being literally in my safe in my locker but <laughs> there's video of this somewhere and we need to find someone with the cubs hopefully someone with the cubs has this and there's video we of need it, it. and we need it <laughs> i took a video from the um the uh the video the video room i took my camera out we were watching him and you can hear like commentary from like schwarber and stuff like that uh, just <laughs> of kids running running across the field running into the bullpen I set up a fireworks when it opens, uh, one of the clues was in the uh, bullpen phone. So when he opened it up, it was supposed to explode or like pop. And it, it was a failed attempt, <laughs> but you can see him there. All right, I gotta, yep. my kid's yelling at my kid's yelling at me. I got to get out of here. Yep. No right, worries. Yep. Thank we'll you so much. It there. Thank you guys so much for joining me. Really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for having us on. Yeah. Thank you. Take, take care. Great talk there, Brandon Kinsler and Steve Ciszak. They have a new podcast, which we talked about. That's why we got them on the show tonight, Call to the Pen. It's on YouTube. It's on podcasting platforms. We'll put the link in the description of this video. But how about that? Really cool walking down memory lane, talking to two pros, two former Cubs who were teammates here about their baseball careers, how they came together, and what they're doing today. Um, I love those perspectives, and and I was telling John off air. I remember Steve Ciszak debuting. I remember what he was talking about back in 2012 when he took the job from Heath Bell, and he went on a rampage for a couple of seasons out there in Miami. And I'm sure many Cubs fans remember Brandon Kinsler and his setup rollout in Milwaukee in the early 2010s, and then obviously both of them coming here to Chicago in 2018 and 2019. Um, a great interview, very unique, very different. And I'm really grateful that we got them on the program here today. And that will do it for us here on Sports Talk Chicago. Big thank you to Steve Ciszek and Brandon Kinsler for their time here tonight. John Meadows directing and producing, running everything behind the scenes. Our good sponsor, Amish Country Farms. And, of course, you for tuning in. You can follow us all over the place on social media at Sports Talk Chicago. Subscribe to the channel for more Bears, Bulls, Cubs, White Sox, and Blackhawks content. And we will be with you later this week for more Chicago sports news. Thank you guys so much. So long, everyone.